Take the guesswork out of your cannabis shopping with the ECS DNA kit by Endocana Health. If you take pride in your canna nerdiness or are just canna curious, this kit empowers you to find more about the best cannabis choices. Right now, you can save 25% off your DNA test at endodna.com using promo code POD25. Your purchase includes the Endo DNA Collection Kit, Endo Decoded Report, personalized cannabinoid and terpene suggestions, and Endo Align products matching in your state. There will also be suggested dosage guidelines and optimum methods for inhalation or usage. Once you know your personal ECS data, you can shop Endo supplements tailored specifically for you. And right now, Endo DNA is celebrating their new patent with a buy one, get one offer on their Afika Soft Gel lineup. And since I know that many of you struggle with sleep, I want to highlight Afika Unwind, created to support health sleep cycles using patented proprietary formulations of hemp-derived CBD, terpenes, and essential oils. If sleep is eluding you, sweet dreams are in your future. Buy one for yourself and get one for a friend at endodna.com. And don't forget promo code POD25 at the checkout for 25% off your DNA test kit. I got a lot of press coverage for it. And that's when I pivoted to PR because I realized I was really good at getting press coverage for my app. I was connected to a bunch of journalists. And so I pivoted and I've been doing PR for the last five years. This is the Cannamom Show, a podcast chronicling the inspiring stories of real women in the emerging cannabis industry. Your host, Joyce Gerber, mom, lawyer, political activist, has been speaking with women from coast to coast and around the world who are leaders in the revolution of cannabis and caregiving, continuing on her mission to lift up the stories of the women creating the cannabis industry by sharing their canna stories with you. So go make yourself a cup of tea or roll yourself a joint, sit back and learn something new about this magical plant on The Cannamom Show with Joyce Gerber. From the Tip O'Neill Studios in North Cambridge, Massachusetts, it's the Cannamom Show. Now here's your host, Joyce Gerber. Welcome back to the Cannamom Show, where we are crushing that stigma around cannabis and caregivers, one can of story at a time. So Dave, I know we're audio only, but do you know what this is? It looks like one of those old school film canisters that you'd, you'd, you'd load the, the film into your camera, but when you bought it, it came in a little plastic container. And kids, this is what people used to keep their flour in. This is like old school cannabis holder. It was like we didn't call it. We out. didn't call it flour back then. We called we called it pot or weed. But yes, I remember going on canoe trips where we would have those. With a feather. I never had a roach clip, but <laughs> my friends always. I always borrowed, bummed other people's stuff, and everybody a pipe or a one hitter or uh, even a mini a mini bong sometimes people would bring mini bongs on the canoe whatever i do like that one hitters but i'm a fan of many different ways to consume and before i introduce today's guest i want to give a shout out to a ukrainian company and i'm going to pronounce this wrong fajny fajki a ceramic smoking pipe shop with over 150 unique whimsical and functional designs all made by hand my new friend vlad he actually sent me a few samples 
And he told me that his workshop consists of a team of very creative people and they are interested in finding partners in the United States who want to wholesale. Cool. So I can here, check them out. They're adorable. So I know again, we're audio only. I'll do a reel about this. This is like a little dog. Yeah. It looks like a little, little vaguely like Snoopy, maybe a beagle. And that's a pipe. That's a pipe, a ceramic yep. pipe. And this is a adorable mushroom. <laughs> looks like a, a house, a miniature house carved out of a mushroom. So like that's something, where they put something. the flower and you smoke out of the Yes. Yeah, that and then and then he knew my son is a guitar player. So Oh you get a guitar. guitar. Oh, that's great. So that's a pipe shaped like a guitar, but it's painted with a pretty cool level of detail. They're good. Anyway, so I'm excited. Uh check him out. He he's in the Ukraine. I'm selling these samples. I have about a dozen of them or so. And I'm gonna be at the goods event with Dave, the goods dispensary in Davis Square. So if you want to meet Dave, and I'm gonna bring these and they're gonna be for sale. Oh, cool. I'm going to buy yes. one. Yeah. <laughs> I'm setting one aside for Dave. Can you set right, aside so- the guitar one? Is the guitar one for sale? Well, technically it's for Josh. So oh, I'll okay. see what he no, feels, I don't, how he feels about it. I don't want <laughs> to take it from your son. But you can commission one. All right. So that's awesome. I'm excited about that. Again, April 15th in Davis Square at the Goods. are going to be there doing a podcast live with Dave. And then also coming up, it's 420, Dave, our national holiday. Oh, yeah. Right around the mm-hmm. corner. And uh, one of the events I want to give a shout out to Boston is a paint your own bong party because you know how i craft yeah it's a woman who's got a company called party yeah, with okay. a purpose and she's holding an event on 420 to paint your own bong so you got to bring the bong no i think you make it or she oh, you gives make it to it you and you pick it it's oh, like when cool. your kids were little and you did like paint your own things and you brought it home to your parents yeah. <laughs> i used to do that at, at summer camp and i remember one year i made an et now you can make a bond so there you go i will put that in my show notes if you're in boston and you want to do that quick note uh canna news kentucky has medical cannabis wow i know i think it's 38 it's more than half the country i don't know why it's not the whole country it's coming along and i think i know why it's not the whole country (laughs) if you've been observing the culture in our country over the last uh, i don't know eight years or so it's not right. I Whatever. It's, I'm telling you, the most Trumpian Kentucky farmer wants to grow hemp and people up in Oregon who want to just whatever, hang out and be with nature. It's just everyone. It, this plant is for everybody, like literally for everybody. And it's American grown. And I don't know. I just don't understand why we can't come together on this. This is like the one thing we could actually bond. It over. should. I really it, believe it. It should transcend politics. It's it's not like Advil or aspirin is more of a liberal thing. It's if you have a headache, you take it. <laughs> I don't know oil. I know I, 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 I'm I'm new at conspiracy theory, and now it's just oil. I'm like, who is against this? Who are the politicians being bought up? Who is against this? Because, again, this could help save everybody. Like the farmers want to grow this. People want the products. It's good for us. It makes us healthy. We'd be like each other more. It's weird. It would really be good if we could get our act together. Well, isn't is there another answer? Is there a real possible business reason? I don't think so. I mean, would the tobacco industry be against it? Maybe, but otherwise. You got to figure it, it's it's just a super right wing moral majority types, isn't it? That just that they're, they're stuck in the past and still watching Reefer Madness, right? Maybe. I don't know. I blame it on the Book of Revelations. I heard this Terry Gross <laughs> interview with this religious scholar who said they are misinterpreting Revelations. It is not about the end of destruction. This is a scholar saying this oh. and there's a misunderstanding and they're creating the reality there. I don't know what's going on. So stop it, people. Be nice. Love. Embrace love. God is love. God is love. <laughs> And, and by the way, if it is end of times, I wouldn't mind having some uh, weed around. True that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and then one more thing before we get to today's guest. Oh, Culture Corner. Music. 
the culture corner. All right, Schmigadoon. I don't know if you've heard of this. But I have. I love you have. Okay. Yeah. I love musical theater. I just think it's fun. And this is a comedy. It's a television series on Apple Plus. I watched season one. It was more set in the older musicals. Now they're going to the 60s and 70s musicals, which are more my, I guess those are my formative musical theater experiences as a child. Yep. No, I, uh-huh. I yeah, the first one seemed to be borrowing, borrowing, excuse me, borrowing from like Oklahoma, right? Yeah. Yeah. But I love the cast. You had Keenan, oh, yeah. Keenan Michael King and um, Cecily Strong from exactly. SNL. Yeah, great. Anyway, so if you're looking for something to watch, I think it actually started today. So Schmigadoon, I think they're also calling it like Schmigacago or Schmicago. Oh, or, yeah. <laughs> I can't even say yeah, it's, right. It's, yeah, it's, it's uh, borrowing from Chicago, the musical, of course. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Awesome. All right. So that is that for that. And now we have a today's guest. So let's move on. All right. Today's guest. Today's guest is a social media strategist and a LinkedIn specialist. Presently, she's a publicist at Trailblaze PR, a firm marketing for a new generation of cannabis brands, representing ancillary and plant-touching brands in the cannabis industry. Today's guest is especially good at garnering press for her clients and assisting with brand messaging and development, social media and marketing strategies, writing, event planning, and so much more. Her work as an entrepreneur in the cannabis industry has led her to bring a guest on, to be a guest on a multitude of news outlets and was named one of the 100 most important women in cannabis for the 2019 Green Market Report. And her former edible locator and review platform was nominated Best Tech in SoCal for the 2017 Dope Magazine Awards. Today's guest also speaks on the subject of cannabinoid hypermess, I always say this wrong, <laughs> hyperemesis syndrome, something we haven't spoken much about, but she knows a great deal about. Please welcome to the Cannabom Show, the inspiring and very hardworking Alice Moon. Thank you, Alice, for joining us. Welcome. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Happy to be here. All right. So let's, um, before we jump into the cannabis marketing, can you just sort of share your story of going from New Orleans to LA and was there a bracelet involved? That How did this all sort of meld together? Yeah, so I um, moved to Los Angeles from New Orleans in 2010, and in 2011, I joined the cannabis industry. I started as a trimmer, then was a bud tender, and then at the time, I was also making jewelry, and so I thought, how can I infuse the two things? So what I did is I came up with a bracelet you can smoke out of called the Secret Smoker Bracelet, and so I made headpieces and bracelets um, that were pipes, and they were perfect for Coachella, and so I did that for a few years. And did you actually make those? by hand or was there something you created in them oh you were making them I handmade them yes I had a team of people we handmade them it took about three hours to make each one um each like there's multiple steps to get it all going um but can you actually can you, can you just describe what it looks like just to... it had some tubing and a metal bowl and then there was hemp braided around it so it looked like a hemp bracelet basically so it, I made them in all different colors I did like team colors and different varieties and, like I did one a Mardi Gras themed one and yeah I did that for a few years I got featured by LA Weekly and then when I got featured by LA Weekly I was kind of like okay I did the thing ready to move on to the next project okay um, And at the time I was writing edible reviews and I was getting so many inquiries from people asking where they could find the edibles I was writing about, but I couldn't direct them to a specific source. Um, The dispensary I worked at didn't carry every edible that I was reviewing and it made me realize that there needed to be an edible locator. So I spent about two years working on my tech company. Um, We launched- And did did you have a tech background or how did you figure this out? What was your- 
Oh, it was all self-taught. I went to school with Google, basically. Okay. Uh, just learned it all via Google. I hired um, a tech person to build out the app. I kind of learned about how to design it. I hired um, a designer. I did a trade with them. I like did a baller on a budget move. Like okay. I got a lot done with a lot, a little dollars. Um, and uh, we launched in 2017 and we had over a thousand edibles in our directory all throughout oh. California, but the company only lasted a few months. Our tech wasn't perfect. I needed to fundraise um, to be able to update the tech with the laws changing in California come 2018. I need to be compliant and I just did not have the resources to make it all happen. So ultimately but I had to shut it down. That is a big, over again, this is a highly regulated industry. There's a lot of products. There's a lot of stuff that can go wrong. Not, not even like to mention all the social media, marketing, banking, everything else on top of just like building an app. So that is very ambitious for you. So you're not shy. You're not like, you're, you're just, when you want to do something, you just do it, which is very inspiring. All right. So you're young, you moved to LA and then how, what was your relationship with your plant? How did your relationship change at that time? What, what was it like? What, were, what was your cannabis relationship? So when I moved to LA is when I really discovered cannabis. I wasn't really a consumer in New Orleans. I would have an occasional pot brownie, but I wasn't really what I would consider a consumer until I moved to LA. And working at a dispensary just kind of opened up my eyes to all the reasons I could use cannabis. So it really became a medicinal tool for me. I used it for my appetite, for my sleep, for my anxiety, for my depression. It was like an all-in-one package deal for me. And I started to consume more over the years and really started to focus my consumption on edibles and around 2015. That's when I started writing the edible reviews. And unfortunately, in 2016, I started to get sick. And I didn't know why until 2018, when I was diagnosed with cannabinoid hyperemesis syndrome, which is Good. a allergy to uh, cannabis, which I want to talk about later, but I want to kind of get through your story first. But okay, so you started so were you ever a flower smoker or were you always like, yeah, yeah I would yeah, do yeah. like, maybe a half a joint a day. I wasn't okay. like, I was never a heavy cannabis consumer, like compared to like other people. Like, and did you know, and when you started consuming cannabis, did you know, did you understand how we had an endocannabinoid system and how it could be useful for like anxiety or any of the things that we actually are kind of talking about now? No, I kind of started using it as a recreational user and then my use became medicinal. Yeah. Okay. So, okay. And then, all right. So you're in LA, you got the relationship with the plant. And then, so what was your family thinking at this time? Like, what did they think you were coming to LA for? What was their connection to cannabis? Were they worried? What what was happening? My mother was definitely very concerned. She was not excited about me working at a dispensary. It took um, her coming out to LA and visiting the dispensary to realize that it was a business and there was, it, it wasn't like, a shady garage or something. It was an actual storefront with products on display, with options, with descriptions and employees. And, and then that kind of opened her eyes to the fact that like, okay, this is like a secure place. And we had a security guard and yeah. um, everything. So it kind of changed her perception of it. But she was still hesitant and it took years of me being in the industry before she finally became supportive of it. Yeah, I, I know I know the feeling. But didn't something happen with your mother at the 60th birthday? Did you tell me she actually... Did she actually try something or she... 60th birthday, um, she gave out CBD um, products and gift bags that she, she gave did. everyone. So that was some progress over the years is to get her to give out some CBD products to all of her friends. So that was very exciting. Your gateway drugs are my CBD cells. That's funny. All right. All right. So back kind of in your blogging days. So you were talking about edibles and things. And what year was this really? This is early. 2015. All right. So what kind of stuff were you seeing out in California in 2015? What were some of the... Did you have dosing issues or like what, what was going on in the edible world back then? 
definitely had dosing issues. <laughs> um, yes. Um, it wasn't very regulated that it wasn't regulated at all, actually, at that point. So it was kind of up in the air. I did have one negative cannabis experience where I had an edible that I thought was 10 milligrams and turns out it was 50 milligrams because it was <gasps> And this was while I was working at a dispensary and we were allowed to consume on the job, but I ended up having a negative experience where I had a, what people consider a bad trip where I just got like super anxious. My heart was racing. I felt overwhelmed. I was sweaty. I was like, just, I, I couldn't do my job. I was so overwhelmed. Wait, so, so let me back up. So this, it was an adult use or a medicinal uh, dispensary or was it? Medicinal. And it was labeled wrong. Yes, um, because it was the wild, wild west um, a few years ago. And up until 2018, there wasn't really regulations in place that people had to adhere to. So it was kind of a guesstimate of what the dosage really was. So that was. And do you, and do you have limits in California, like the dosing on edibles now or then? I'm sorry? Do you have, do you have edible do- like in Massachusetts? The edibles have to be, can only be five milligrams. Yeah, yeah, it have to be broken up into 10 milligram um, okay. dosage. Um, yeah, 10 milligram or less. It can't be more than 10 per um, like piece. Um, so, and now they're like rigorously tested. So there's a lot more compliance in place and dosage is like not a concern for people now. You can figure out your dose and do it safely. But yeah, some of the products I was seeing on the market, imagine any food that you can infuse. I would see it uh, for sale. Like there was um, this cup of like faux noodles um, that you just add water to it. And the seasoning is what was infused. That one was delicious. Um, I remember seeing some beef jerky. I was too afraid to try that. I was a little grossed out by it. It looked a little like slimy. And I was like, I don't know if I trust that. I don't want to get sick. So didn't try that. Um, yeah, I would have like infused lemonade, um, some tea, some coffee, basically anything you could think of being infused. It was on the market. That is funny. All right. So everyone thinks of edibles and chocolates and there's, and again, I talk a lot about savory foods too. There's a, there's a woman out here who does dinner. So you prepare yourself, but she gives you the oil so you can infuse it when you're at home and you can feel like you're cooking something. And it's just a nice, it's a savory way. It's, it's not it doesn't always have to be sugary and sweet. So were you saying things like that too on the more savory side? Yeah. I mean, the beef jerky, but that was kind of. snacks and stuff and this was back when people would just like buy like chips and like infuse them themselves like so you can Mm -hmm. get like mainstream like Lay's potato chips infused Mm -hmm. you can't do that anymore you have to like produce your own edibles you can't just like buy in bulk and infuse it but there's definitely like Cheetos and stuff like that we're definitely on the market years ago that's funny all right was there anything that you just couldn't believe actually existed like something that really high dose were there things that came in at like crazy high dosages or just were just not even like what these did you test them before you what did, did you actually um test them at a lab or you just tasted them tested them no just tasted them there was a 500 milligram brownie i had a like crumble of it i'm talking a very very small crumble of it and i was so high out of my mind like I mean, I was at home. It was a pleasurable experience, but I was like so baked off of just having a small, small, small little crumble of it. And yeah, they used to sell 500 milligrams for one little brownie. It was pretty wild. Uh, I mean, I kind of, I'm thinking back to like when we talk about like the brownies for the AIDS patients. And I I don't think who even knows how many milligrams of cannabis. I mean, who knows what the THC level was of those? That's kind of interesting, but they figured out. And and I talked to a lot of um, maybe parents who started using brownies or something with their children so the way they figured out what the dosage was before there was stuff that they could buy that was packaged is they would make it and they would take it themselves and mm-hmm. they would figure out what it was and then they would give their kid half 
Wow. Is it not like, I mean, again, parents who are trying to figure out how to help their children with a medicine and they don't know what it is and there's no way to test it. And before we had products, which are better now, so you're consuming and you know, again, dosage has always been a concern of mine when I'm talking to people, it's better than it was not so long ago. So we're, we're improving, right? Definitely. <laughs> That's funny. All right. So all right, do you want to talk any more about the app? So what was sort of the inspiration of the app? Really just the fact that you couldn't figure out where stuff was and. Yeah, it, it's kind of like, I mean, they have it for flower. Is that what sort of the yeah. idea? I, I wanted to help people find the right edible for their dietary needs. So if they were gluten-free, vegan, sugar-free, et cetera, we had those options for people to search. And so that was because people use cannabis medicinally. You shouldn't only be consuming brownies. You should be consuming things that are fit your dietary needs. So that was the motivation behind it. And I got a lot of press coverage for it. And that's when I pivoted to PR because I realized I was really good at getting press coverage for my app. So I was connected to a bunch of journalists. And so I pivoted. And I've been doing PR for the last five years. All right. So that's okay. So that was 2017. Okay. So let's move into what you're actually doing. <laughs> do you want to talk about your own agency? You want to talk about Trailblaze? You want to talk about what do you want to like focus on? Because it's a big topic. Um, yeah. So I'll just give some broad talking points. Okay. At Trailblaze, I've been there for almost two years. And we are a PR and marketing agency. And at my role there, I do PR, I do some social media, and I do influencer marketing. So I manage influencer campaigns all across the country for different MSO clients. I've done them in Massachusetts. I've done them in Arizona, New Jersey, New York, Florida, et cetera. And outside of the agency, I do LinkedIn ghostwriting. So I write posts for executives in the cannabis space. And then I do LinkedIn coaching as well. Which is, I actually have ta- I've taken her training. It's really good if you're looking for it because I want to be more influential on LinkedIn. I just think it's an interesting space. Don't you think for cannabis specifically? Absolutely. They don't censor cannabis content. So it's a great platform to talk about cannabis. Um, and I'm part of the LinkedIn creator program. So I was their first cannabis content creator to get accepted in the program, which just kind of shows that they are accepting of cannabis if they accepted me into their program. Yeah. So how did I just talk about that? So anyone who's interested in being more influential or connecting more again, you know, this is a very professional level to talk about people who are CEOs and CFOs and starting a companies. And if you want to be at that level, LinkedIn is the place you want to be connecting with people. So how did LinkedIn find you or did you apply to them or was there any pushback? How did that work with the actual LinkedIn? With the creator program, I applied. I saw that they were opening up the program and I reached out to one of the creator managers and what they, their criteria for being accepted is they want you to have a social following outside of LinkedIn because they They want you to kind of get your audience to come to LinkedIn. So I had um, about close to 20,000 followers outside of LinkedIn on my other platforms. And so that was enticing to them. So, and then you have to be active on LinkedIn and um, be creating some engaging or inspirational content. It can't be like talking negatively or I'm cursing a lot. Um, They don't accept that in the program. So yeah, I joined that about a year ago and it's been great. I have a LinkedIn mentor, somebody who works at LinkedIn, who emails me updates about the latest platform and what's going to be trending. So I get some inside scoop on, on LinkedIn. All right. I do like LinkedIn. I'm on Instagram too, but I, I could just see the difference. Again, I, I came to social media late in life. <laughs> I just was not one of those people, but you know, you're in it, you're seeing it and cannabis is sort of, we have some issues with social media. So that's good to know that that's a place where you can be and they want us. I don't know. Do you want to talk about what's, what's going on at Trailblaze? Like what kind of businesses, what are you seeing? Who's coming in? What marketing is a little bit tricky in cannabis. What are you how are you working with your businesses and are the things that, I don't know, I think it's because we have to be a little bit more creative because there are so many weird restrictions. We're becoming more creative in ways that we are doing these things that we, they're trying to protect, but they're trying to um, make harder for us, like the marketing. So what kind of things are you doing that are 
working or not working? And what are they asking for people who are looking for marketing plans in cannabis? Yeah. So one thing that we see um, that's very successful with our clients is doing a survey. So we'll conduct a nationwide survey with a third party like YouGov or Susie or Harris and poll around like a thousand to two thousand people and get some information about their cannabis consumption or about a holiday in cannabis and just different things like that. And then we pitch that survey data out to the media and we usually get coverage for it. So a few months ago, I got a client in the New York Times because we did a survey about infusing your Thanksgiving with cannabis. Oh, I saw that. (laughs) Yeah. So New York Times did a story about Thanksgiving. Yes. They included my client stat in there because we knew that article was going to be coming out. So we months in advance did a survey, collected the data, pitched it to the journalist, and were able to get included. And so surveys are definitely a way to go. They cost about $10,000 to conduct because you have to pay a third party. So it's not um, super cheap to do, but it usually comes up with results. And then something we did uh, about two years ago that I'm really proud of is um, we had a client launching an infused brownie. And who cares? There's a zillion brownies out there. Not that big of a deal. They were only launching in Massachusetts, so only one market. Not a big deal. So how do we make that into a big deal? Well, what we came up with is we launched the world's largest infused brownie. It was over 800 pounds, was 10,000 milligrams of THC. We got a really strong photo to go with it, and we announced it tied to National Brownie Day in November, and we got 1,700 unique articles, three late-night show mentions, and on SNL. All right, and we talked about it, too, because we live in Massachusetts, so Dave and I had a whole thing about it. That's hysterical. That's yeah. awesome. How did they make that thing? How did they know it's 10,000 milligrams of THC? What did they do with it afterwards? To my knowledge, it was disposed of. So I don't know. Um, (laughs) The plan was to break it up into smaller pieces and to sell it. But the person who was supposed to take it to get tested, because it had to be in compliance to be able to do that. So the person who's going to break it all up and get tested had COVID. And so they missed the deadline to be able to do it. So they weren't able to put it out into the market because they did want to initially sell it, but they couldn't do it. It was, they had to build like a special table to even hold it because it was so heavy. It was wild. And it took them a lot of work. It cost a few thousand dollars in ingredients and staff time, but the impact we were able to make with that, I mean, they, they sold out of the brownies, their stock price rose and the amount of coverage we got. I mean, that was like the busiest work week of my life, just fielding all the interviews because in addition to those 1700 articles, we also got so many podcasts and radio interviews too. So it was just nonstop of booking interviews, answering questions, sending out the photos. And it was a blast. And at Trailblaze, we love doing stunts like that. We love doing campaigns where we get to be a little creative, a little out of the box. And it's just, it's really fun. I love being able to tap into that creative side. I mean, again, so I think, I think again, like this is a weird industry. Everybody's markets, are, everybody's markets, everyone's budgets are tight. It does, it's not run like a normal business because you can't deduct your expenses, banking side, blah, 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 blah. So marketing is one of those things that people are trying to figure out how to do it without spending a lot of money, but trying to get a good return and obviously investing in a professional knows. So what other things are you, not everyone's going to build a giant (laughs) brownie, but I do talk about podcasting as a good marketing tool for people. Some other things that, you know, sort of like more relationship things, building authenticity. Is that what you're seeing too? Absolutely. Yeah, we do some executive visibility and where we get the executives at our client companies, some interviews, um, speaking engagements, talking at events, things like that. That's definitely very helpful for a 
brand awareness is to get the executives out there. So we do a lot of that as well. And then influencer marketing is just another good way to get a brand out there is we'll do paid influencer campaigns and select regions. So we want to make sure that those influencers, their followers are in the region where the product is sold. And so we look at their analytics and um, we get their rates and hire them to do campaigns or we send them a campaign briefing of like, here's the talking points. Here's what we want you to focus on. And that's been very successful for our clients as well. And we had one influencer, her video got 170,000 views, which wild. So that was ginormous reach. She's one of the larger influencers in the country, but still um, that was one of her like highest viewed videos that she's ever had. And that was her going to a dispensary and just showing like the purchasing process. That's a start. I go to the dispensary every week. People follow me. (laughs) I've been taking, actually, I'm taking a new friend every week. I just know people who are like me who wouldn't go to a dispensary because honestly, it is a little intimidating if you've never walked in. And you know this, there are so many products. Like I I had an older woman from my temple call me last night, but it's a long story, but I started going down the list of things that I talk about all the time. And she was so overwhelmed. You can take it a tincture. It could be an edible. It could be a chocolate. You can like infuse something. It can be a beverage. You can smoke it. You can vape it. She's like, stop. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so again, to have people who are out there doing it that you trust and you can see them doing it and you see it's fine and fun and you should go visit a dispensary because there's lots of stuff to see and people want to help you. All right. So we talked a little bit about LinkedIn. All right. I know I don't really want to talk about this too much, but I know this is a huge part of your story. So let's just talk about what happened to you with your illness and how this has impacted actually your relationship with cannabis, I guess. And then you're still in the industry, obviously, so you still feel positive. So just kind of go through it. Yeah. So in 2016, I started getting sick where I would just throw up every few weeks. And then for the next two years, I was progressively getting worse where I would just get sick constantly. Doctors couldn't figure out what was wrong with me until finally I saw someone who diagnosed me with cannabinoid hyperemesis syndrome, CHS for short. And basically my endocannabinoid system is just overloaded and can't process THC and CBD anymore. So, And had um, you ever, at this time, had you ever heard of this before? Did you know anybody who had it? Was it like, did you believe it was true? Like what was your reaction to it? At first I didn't believe it was true, but then I went to an infused dinner as my last hurrah and I learned that it was very true. I was sick for 14 days straight, um, nonstop throwing up. It was a very, very scary experience. I thought I was going to die. And that made me realize when no one else at the dinner had gotten sick, it was like, okay, clearly it wasn't food poisoning. It was the cannabis. So I took a three month cannabis break and then slowly reintroduced cannabis back into my life and got sick again, then took a break and then introduced CBD and was able to consume CBD for a few months until that made me really sick. And then I had a, even even the CBD, everything, Mm -hmm. all of it. Yeah. Interesting. All right. Um, Yeah. So I had to quit using cannabis completely. And now I'm so sensitive to it that even secondhand smoke can make me sick. So I actually can't go to most of the cannabis events that were like my whole social life for many, many years because being around the smoke can induce um, nausea and stomach aches and um, potentially throwing up. So, I mean, what I know about this is that something, whatever it is, people sometimes tend to like use more cannabis because they think it'll relieve the symptoms because that's what they were using to relieve them initially. So was that happening to you? Like, I feel a little nauseous. I'll have a little cannabis because it's supposed to help. Or was it, were you sort of in that space or what happened? Was it just? I 
didn't increase my use at all. No, okay. Um, no, I, I didn't increase my use when no. I was sick. I wasn't feeling like compelled to consume, but that does definitely happen with a lot of people is they get sick with this and then they consume more because they want it to make them feel better and then they just get worse. Something really interesting about this condition is that it mainly happens um, for most people who have it in the morning when you first wake up. So that's like a big commonality between people who have this is right when they wake up is when they're the sickest. And then as the day goes on, they kind of progressively get a little bit better, but then it restarts like in the morning. So my theory might be because the night before they consume cannabis and it usually takes a while for your body to process it. And mm-hmm. so maybe it's just starting um, to just be processed in the morning, but not really sure why that is. So, so again, my understand i just always assumed with people who smoked a lot of cannabis and never even occurred to me that it could happen to people who are using edibles so they're actually metastasized differently so it's just the chemical compound that is just interacting with your and how how do they actually test it how they know what how can they figure this out like was it just basically you took it out of your system and that you felt better is that kind of where you are yeah so it's a process of elimination so i had to get like every test done that you can imagine. I was poked, prodded, MRIs. It it was not a very pleasant experience to get tested for everything else that could possibly be causing my sickness. But ultimately, it's the process of like elimination and then quitting cannabis and seeing if you get better. And sometimes it takes a few weeks for someone to get better after they quit. It's not an immediate thing. So with me, it took a few weeks about, I mean, my worst episode was 14 days. And then I slowly recovered after that. And are you meeting? So what are you, again, there's a whole new world of cannabis in some ways because we have a lot more concentrates. People are using it lots and lots of different ways. Are you connected? Do they have like groups of people who are trying to like get each other understanding of how to get help for this? Is that something you're connected to? Absolutely. Yes. Um, There's a Facebook group um, called uh, Cannabinoid Hyperemesis Syndrome Recovery, and there's about 20,000 people in it. And so we all um, just talk, help each other. And we've got a lot of resources in that group. I built a website for easy learning for people. It's cannabinoid-hyperemesis.com. And it's got an FAQ links to research papers on it. So anyone who wants to dive deeper into it can really like see all the facts and some of the press that I've gotten is included on that as well. Because I've done a lot of public speaking about this condition. I've been featured by uh, Business Insider, Washington Post, High Times, and then numerous other publications. So yeah, I'm connected to a lot of people who have this. Okay. And you're still in the industry. So let's get back to PR. Challenges. You know, and again, I've been talking to a lot of people in New York now. There's a whole new marketing finance. It's coming on from the East Coast. What do you think are some of the, I don't know, changing in marketing? What do you think is going to be better? Maybe some things that are going to be harder. Do you have any predictions for the next couple of years? Well, I'm not super educated on all of New York's laws, but I know that they are very, very strict when it comes to marketing. So it's going to be a challenge for companies in New York to stand out because of the strict regulations regarding what they can and can't do. I hope that marketing regulations change across the country for cannabis because it is very strict about some states like don't allow billboards or like you have to be very specific about where your billboard goes or you can't do radio ads, you can't do TV ads. I would love to see some of that change because we have advertisements for medication. So why can't we have advertisements for cannabis? Like cannabis is a lot less harmful than a a pill, to be honest. Like medications, when you see these commercials, they list out for about five minutes, all the side effects. It's ridiculous. So I just heard this um, story about that. So I'm like, when I hear the end of that, I'm like, who would want to take that pill? But what this um, psychologist, who's a psychologist, I think was talking about is the delusion argument that 
the more like there's like one effect, you're going to die. Like that'll be like pretty weighty. And then they have all the other things that happen to you. And it ends with like, you're going to get cramps in your feet or something. And something about our brain weighs those all the same. So you're like, oh, you could die or you could fit and all those other things. Like you don't think it's as bad. But if all I said is you could die, you'd be like, no, I'm not taking that medication. <laughs> That's wild. It is a very weird psychological trick they're doing to us. So I don't know. Uh, cannabis is good for you people. So if we can have alcohol and tobacco and everything else, we should be able to talk about this product in a very normalized way. So yeah. Are, are you working at that? Do you do any policy work or are people doing that? I don't know. I don't do any policy work. I leave that to the experts who are better at that than I am. Yeah. Uh, again, it's a ridiculous thing that we can't. Um, what are, are there restrictions on um magazine ads too, I assume? Is there everything? No, that's just more of mainstream magazines not wanting to accept cannabis ads. Mm. Um, I haven't seen any restrictions against doing them. I just think it's the publications don't want to do them. I mean, have you seen there's a campaign in New York, the cannabis marketing, media marketing, they're advertising towards baby boomers. Oh, no, I haven't seen that. It's a, I I think it's we're high now campaign. And it's, again, I am a Gen Xer, but I'm basically a boomer. The average, you know, like people who are gardening and people who are like filling out their tax forms and they get like. I'm high now, just like just normalizing it. And they were at a, um, they're talking about swag. And I'm like, pickleball. That's great. <laughs> All the, it was, we walked around with like pickleball visors that say, I'm high now. I think that's a good one. Uh, again, it's just normalizing it. It's culture. So yeah, ads, ads, ads. Okay, let's see. Oh, 420. Do you have anything you want to share about 420? It's coming up very soon. I'm ready for it to be over. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, it, is, it is a lot. People do, I mean, I actually don't do anything. I just attend events. <laughs> Yeah, well, working in marketing, there's a lot going on ahead of 420. So it's the busiest time of the year for us. It's exhausting. It's fun. I, but I am ready for it to be over already. It's just, we've been preparing for 420 for weeks now, and we still have a few weeks to go before it's here. So, um, there's a lot going on. One client's doing a survey. I feel comfortable mentioning it because it, by the time this goes live, like it'll already be out in the public. They found that um, nearly 40% of Americans that consume cannabis plan to take off for 420 this year. So that's a high stat. Um, a lot of people are going to be taking off work. So we have a Forbes story coming out about that later this week. So that's exciting. And then, yeah, just lots of campaigns, lots of things going on. One client, they manage their own social media. They were about to go live with a post this week and then saw that a competitor came out with the same exact concept as them, like the same um, slogan. And so they had to completely pivot and change everything. And so that's just wild to see of like, whoa, two big companies came up with the same exact slogan. And now the whole marketing campaign has to change. So it is a lot. Yeah, especially because they are a multi-state operator. So they had assets ready to go in multiple markets and had to change everything. So that's wild. And just a lot going on. And then the Benzinga Cannabis Capital Conference is coming up next week. And a lot of people are attending that. So I've been preparing clients for that. So I mean, you must see it. I mean, you've been in this for a while. It's like dog years. Cannabis years are like dog years. So you've been doing this for a while. So thinking about where you were and where you are now, like mainstream businesses coming in, marketing, like it feels like a real industry. I mean, <laughs> yeah. So 420 is like the time of the year when mainstream media will talk about cannabis the most. Yep. So there's definitely an opportunity for us to get our clients talked about in some mainstream publications like Maxim or um, Gear Patrol, things like that. So looking forward to seeing what coverage we secure this year. And I hope it's positive. Again, like I actually read the New York Times newspaper, like I get it delivered to my house and they still 
most of the stories are negative if there's anything. And once in a while, like I saw a story about Kim Miles, who is a cannabis interior designer. Yeah, and she's great. So I literally reached out to her because she was in the New York Times and she got back to me and was on the show. But again, those are really positive stories that there are people out there in this industry doing really creative, imaginative things. It's not just the children eating too many gummies. Stop printing those stories. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> completely um all right alice if people want to get in touch with you if they want to work with you if they want to follow you how do they how do they reach you yeah so my instagram and twitter handle is the alice moon t-h-e alice moon my email is alice moon at alice moon la and i'm very active on linkedin so people can go ahead and add me and message me there if they'd like Excellent. Thank you. All right. Thank you for coming on today. Love talking to you again. You always have so much to say and I know you're very, very busy. So thanks for coming on today and finding time. So that's another show. So for the inspiring Alice Moon and of course my Bro David Jazz and our Canna Mom Show team, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to the Canna Mom Show where we are on a mission to enhance the impact women have on the emerging cannabis industry by sharing and preserving their stories of love, kindness, wisdom, and hope. Thank you for following and sharing all the inspiring stories so that together we can crush the stigma around cannabis and caregivers. I'm your host, Joyce Gerber. This is the Cannamom Show, and we are a production of Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hey there, this is Cheryl Murray Powell Esquire, and I'm the host of the Terps in the City podcast. I am a cannabis agricultural dietary supplement and trade attorney. I'm also a hemp farmer, and I've been recently named to the list of High Times Magazine's top 100 influencers in cannabis. I'm inviting you to follow me along my journey as I move back to New York to support the adult use market there. You're going to get a chance to listen to conversations with some of my friends along the way. I look forward to seeing you at Terps in the City.